Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins. This is podcast number 157. And the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast is a Q&A podcast. We respond to the comments and questions that come in from members of the Mandarin Blueprint Method course. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the course, the easiest way to find out about it is to start a 14-day free trial. Uh, it's no credit card required. Just check it out. We're interested in people seeing what, it's, what it is we're up to over here because we are revolutionizing how to learn Mandarin Chinese in such a way that we are laying out the entire path. The entire path. Now, when I... You know, there's there's constant learning you're going to be doing your whole life once you become fluent in Chinese in the same way that you're still learning stuff in your native language. But can you get from knowing nothing to the point where the language feeds into itself in terms of learning? So, like, if you want to start learning a new language today, you can't just start reading native content. It's not going to make any sense to you. None of it will be comprehensible. And so it's not, therefore, helpful. You need to build up the basic knowledge until that native content becomes comprehensible enough that all you need to do is read and listen to native content to get your comprehensible input. That comprehensible input will lead to acquisition and then speaking and writing will lead to fluency. And so that acquisition cycle requires building up a foundational knowledge that's robust enough that you can pick pick up any article, any uh, TV show, uh, any movie in that your target language and just input it and continue to add to what you know. And if you're able to do that, then essentially language learning becomes free. You don't have to purchase any courses once you've reached that robustness of foundational knowledge. But Mandarin Chinese is unique in this way, isn't it? Because you've got all of these different characters that function in a more complex way, at least on the surface from the outside, than any other language in the world. No other language has quite such a... Uh, new system of numerous characters. You know, you got the English has got 26 characters. Okay, you add in uh, uppercase and lowercase, it's about 52 uh, characters. But, you know, you've got these basic, you know, punctuations and stuff. Maybe we're getting up to 80 characters. Well, with Chinese, you need to learn about 3,000 characters to be able to have that foundational knowledge that's necessary for understanding of native content. At least, like 3,000 is kind of the minimum. And you'll naturally learn more than that once you reach that point. But that's kind of the point you need to get to so that you can look at any native content and pick up on a lot of language and keep learning from there. So uh, how do you get there? Well, the Mandarin Blueprint Method is how you get there. We've set it up in a way that is entirely laid out from knowing nothing to getting to the point of being able to read, write, listen, uh, and um, express yourself through speaking in such a way that you do you no longer need to buy any courses you've got there. So how do we do this? Well, up until now, what we've published in the Mandarin Blueprint Method is 1,530 characters and 4,600 words that get you to an intermediate level. And we use a method called the Henza movie method to get you there in terms of the individual character learning. And that's a mnemonic system. I'm not going to go into it too much now because we have extensive materials about that on our website. But needless to say, this way of learning characters is faster and more memorable. And because we also use spaced repetition software flashcards to retain the knowledge you gain, it's the most efficient way to learn those 1,500 characters to get you to the intermediate level. And then we build upon that in a logical fashion called ACLO, Optimal Character Learning Order, to grow your knowledge in a, uh, what the Chinese would say, 有条不文, 
which is like very logical and systematic way so that you're never outside of the zone of proximal development, which is a basic learning concept that you're best at learning things that are just outside of your knowledge base, but not way outside of your knowledge base. The problem with so many Chinese courses is that they try to throw in stuff that is way beyond what you're capable of understanding and that can cause discouragement and can cause people to quit because they feel like that it's too hard. But if you stay within your zone of proximal development, just start from a little dot and just keep growing into a little bit of a circle and then keep growing into a bigger circle and then you go put that into a sphere and you keep growing out into the bigger, bigger sphere, then you learn without it ever being all too stressful. You know, you're never like, this concept that's being introduced is way out of my league. No, it's like it's pretty directly related to what you already know. And so we've done that up through the intermediate level. And now I wanted to make an announcement because we are, we've made great progress on our upper intermediate course and our advanced course. Now, I mentioned that there's about a 3,000 character threshold to get to that point where you no longer need any kind of learning materials to uh, keep acquiring the language. You can just open up Chinese articles and watch Chinese TV and watch Chinese movies and listen to Chinese podcasts. And there's enough comprehension there for you to learn without the aid of courses like ours. And so we have planned out now through character 3,050, 3,050 characters and 11,829 words. And that is enough for you to easily be able to navigate most Chinese content, native content. Now, with some exception for things like, oh, this is an article about chemistry or something like that. Well, then, yeah, you, you would need to learn some specified uh, terms, but that would be true in your native language as well. So essentially what we get you to is the basic level of what your average learner, your average Chinese um, speaker and, and reader can understand. Now, that process of getting to 3,050 characters covers all the characters and words that are in the entire HSK list. So between the HSKs one through nine, you finish the foundation course, you can pass the HSK one. You finish the Mandarin Blueprint intermediate course, you can pass the HSKs two and three. You finish the upper intermediate course, you can pass the HSKs four, five, and six. And you finish the advanced course, you can finish the, you can pass the HSKs seven, eight, and nine, which is actually all just one big test. And then they just give you a rating. It, you put HSK seven pass, HSK eight pass, HSK nine pass based on that one test. But still though, we cover all that material. Now, interestingly enough, we did this little uh, analysis once we reached the final character that's covered in the HSK-9, and we looked at, okay, what are the most frequent characters that are not in the HSK? Right? We look at our lexicon and we say, what are the most frequent characters that actually aren't on the HSK list? And we were quite surprised to find that there were a fair few characters that, while none of them are, you know, sort of uh, beginner characters, many of them are what I would consider to be like upper intermediate or at least advanced characters that you ought to know. And so we're actually going to eventually extend the order to 3,250 characters uh, because there's about 200 extra characters that we thought, now nah, you should really know these. Now, for now, for those of you who've been following the plot on this, we've been uh, covering the, we've been, we've been trying to get to this advanced course completion for many months now. We've been working on it very hard for about six months. And so we're going to first publish through character 3050 and then get all the associated things related to it uh, taken care of because we also have a number of things we've been putting on the back burner for our company while we're getting this this done. But 
within the foreseeable future, we're going to put another 200 characters on top of that. And luckily, you know, for most of you who will be getting access to the advanced course, either uh, because you're already a lifetime access member or because you'll purchase it, um, you'll see that it's going to take a while to even get to character 3050. You're not going to get, you're not going to get it done in a month unless you're Keith Travis. Uh, and so that means that by the time you get there, we may have already done it anyway. So uh, that's kind of exciting. It's it's super exciting. We're at this point. I mean, 3,050 characters are planned out. We need to just, you know, create the flashcards and get the recordings done and, and build out the um, lessons on our course platform and all of that. But gosh dang, that's a pretty, we're very happy about this. And then 11,829 words so far. And, you know, that's a lot, of course. But... That uh, actually relates to something I'm going to talk about in the first comment here, which is that once you reach the advanced level, then that's a situation where you're going to be using the grammar and sentences in a much more targeted way that you will decide. The most important thing is that you focus on characters, but that kind of relates to uh, the first comment here uh, by Kari Shikari in the community. So let's talk about that first. And then uh, we'll go on to the remainder of the comments and questions. But just one final thing I wanted to say before we get into Kyrie's uh, comment is that we're running the vocab boost beta test for our new software that we're going to be using, Traverse.link. And that is uh, going okay so far. Gotten some good feedback from people. Uh, I had a bit of a botched start to it because we had a page that was freezing up and then I put the wrong email address to send for feedback, but it's all okay now. If you're interested in, if you're in the intermediate course and you'd rather try doing the vocab boost lessons via the Traverse flashcard app and see how you see how it is, give us some feedback, see if there's anything that we can improve, then um, let us know. Send us an email at contact at mandarinblueprint.com and we can add you to that beta test and you can try it out. Now, also, if you are somebody who is new to the course, if you're somebody who's just signed up for the free trial, if you're somebody who is uh, maybe stalled out and wants to try to start over again from the beginning, let us know if you'd like to get involved in the beta test for the beginning of the course. That is to say, for people who are just starting in pronunciation mastery or phase one, and you want to see how we're doing the flashcards there, let us know uh, if you'd like to get involved in that beta test, um, because that's pretty important. The, the upper intermediate course and the advanced course, the flashcards are all going to be a, uh, a part of the um, Traverse platform. So that's going to be a big... Um, upgrade uh, over Anki. So yeah. So okay, let's move on to Kyrie's question in the community forum. Kyrie Shikari in the community forum says, I'm feeling at a loss at the moment. Maybe I'm at a close to a breakthrough part of my learning, but unfortunately I don't feel very positive. The sentences have become a little difficult at this point to understand without really pondering over them. I don't seem to be able to take in the grammar patterns no matter how much I try. I am tempted to give up all the Anki sentences at this point and just focusing on graded readers and trying stuff out with my iTalki tutor. There's just so many structures that I can't get to grips with, and many that I understand but have no chance in being able to produce in speech. Not really sure what else I can do. I'm also struggling to remember a lot of the vocabulary words. I've tried all kinds of links in my mind, but simply they're not, they're just not sticking. I think the Anki stuff is taking up too much time. And by the time I'm done with the sentences, I'm completely lost any motivation to continue learning for the day. This probably has a knock on effect where I know it's affecting the amount 
that I should be listening, reading, watching, etc. I'm wondering if other people got to this point and whether they have got past it or not. Now, uh, we've given Kyrie a response to this and also uh, Soren gave a great response. You guys can check that over out. Uh, check that out over on the community forum. Uh, but I'd like to just make some comments about this because this is something that everybody's going to face at some point during their Mandarin learning journey, which is the intermediate plateau. That is to say, the point where you've learned a fair bit and you've learned your foundational knowledge, but there's like a big difference between knowing 80% of the language by frequency and 99% of the language by frequency. You might say it's only 19%. Wouldn't it be harder to get that initial 80%? Well, it's like, no, that's, it's much easier to get the initial 80% because the most frequent words in the language are used all the time. And so learning the less frequent words, you know, there's about 3000 words that make up only 10% of the language when the initial thousand words make up about 80% of the language. So and, and what I mean by that, like sometimes people have trouble conceptualizing that idea. What I mean by that is if say you had a 10,000 word article, right? 8,000 of those wor words would be made up of the most common thousand, right? So those common thousand get repeated over and over because they're just super frequent. And then the remaining 2,000 words would take uh, you know, to, to learn those. They're made up of like 4,000 different um no, sorry, about 10,000 different uh, words. So you've got the most frequent words take up 8,000 of that 10,000 article. So you got 10,000 word article, 8,000 of them are the most frequent thousand. The remaining 2,000 are made up of another 10,000 words, right? So like, and what I mean by that is that like in frequency, like obviously you can't have all of the remaining 10,000 words. I'm just saying you would need to know about 10,000 more words to be confident that you're going to understand the remaining 2,000, which is, you know, kind of wild, but that's true of every language. So that means that after you learn your initial 1,000, you're going to have a long period of time of not quite being advanced, not quite being able to understand all the things in that 10,000 word article, but knowing enough that you clearly, you know, you know some Chinese, you can, <laughs> heck, you can understand 80% of that 10,000 word article. So clearly, you know a lot of Chinese, but it's just not to the point where you're at that advanced stage. So there's a plateau, an intermediate plateau, where it's very hard to feel your progress. Now, the one point that uh, Kyrie said here uh, that is, I think, a, like, he, first of all, he said he's feeling much better about this now, but I just wanted to point out there was one thing he said that I think is probably not true. He said, there's just so many structures that I can't get to grips with and many that I understand but have no chance in being able to produce in speech. The problem with that attitude, I would say, is that you don't really know this because you don't know what you're going to be able to produce in speech when the time comes. So, uh, and, and we have this tendency to produce a bunch of things in speech, but already feel like, oh, that's old hat. I already knew how to do that. Um, but it's like, but how did you get to do it in the first place? Like, how did you end up being able to speak these things in the first place? There was only one way, which is that you got enough input that you started to understand it. So, you know, when you go to speak, you will, you will be surprised by what you're able to produce. And so you can't know for sure what you will and won't be able to produce. And it doesn't work that way anyway. You don't know for sure, okay, I can now produce this, and so let me go produce it. It's in the production of the language. It's when you're in a conversation, it's when you're writing something that you discover it. You discover, oh, this is actually uh, something I was able to say. There's so many times this happens. You start speaking and you go, oh, I didn't even know I knew how to say that. That's amazing, you know? 
Um, and so, you know, the, that's something that you can't judge outside of the actual output process. Um, now, I do want to say some other things about all this. One is that uh, when you're in the intermediate course, a way to look at the sentences is is to th think of it like this. A lot of sentences need to just wash over you. So when you're going through the vocab unlocked lessons and the vocab boost lessons, what you do is you eat, you read them on the page. And then if a sentence sticks out to you, you like a sentence or otherwise you find that there is some reason why you want to see that sentence again, then you put it into your flashcard queue. But the default should be to just read it try to understand it and then move on and skip making a flashcard out of it because you're going to get exposed to everything that you see in the Mandarin blueprint method again and again in the real world, but you just want to have it not be your first time. You want Mandarin blueprint to be your first time. So you know, okay, at least the sentences I saw it in are uh, the types of sentences that I have characters and words I can understand. And you can't guarantee that if you're outside of the method. Uh, and so but that doesn't mean you're not going to see any of these things ever again. You're going to see them many times again as you go into more and more Chinese, uh, real Chinese content. So, therefore, just read through the sentences once as your default. And then if you particularly like a sentence, then you add it to your flashcards. But I really want to emphasize that point that your default ought to be skipping the sentence in the intermediate course. Um, so you can bear that in mind. That should help with a lot of these things you're mentioning, like there being too much time spent on Anki and all of that. Now, um, the other thing that's true about this is that it's very easy to overthink the grammar patterns, right? And so you go, well, I need to ponder about this first before I understand it. I'm not remembering the vocabulary word well enough because you need to see it in several different contexts. Mandarin Blueprint's giving you the primer. We're like priming you to be able to see it, but there is a whole cornucopia of content that you're going to see at some point that's going to reinforce all of these different vocabulary words. And what you just want Mandarin Blueprint to do for you is be the course that gets you exposure to it and primes the pump for you to get fuel into that word. And every time you read a piece of content, uh, especially if it's like longer form, there's constant moments of you having enough exposure to certain words. You just don't know exactly what it is, which is why that production ends up being where you discover that you can say something you didn't know about before. So basically the, my best advice for Kyrie would just be to like, take some pressure off of doing all the sentences. Don't worry about it so much if you don't understand a sentence because it's just a primer for the next time. So like this happens all the time. If you just keep reading, you read something, you don't really get it. And you're like, I don't really understand how that works, but you just go, all right, well, I have a general idea. Let me move on. And then like, two pages later on what you're reading, that same pattern comes up, but with different content. And then you suddenly get it. You're like, oh yeah, oh, I see how that was. And now I get how the old sentence was, right? And the, the sentence that was giving me trouble before. So when you try to stop and understand every little thing each time, that's definitely gonna slow you down. It's definitely gonna make you feel like I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not getting it entirely because it's almost impossible to be in that way. Now, uh, as you get better and better, eventually you're going to start to get to the point where uh, almost every new sentence that you see is in a structure that you've already mastered and you're really just using the sentence to um, uh, kind of learn a new vocabulary word or something. But that's the intermediate plateau for you. Like you can't just automatically get to that point. There is a bit of like having to work through it without feeling as much progress. It's just the nature of uh, the intermediate plateau as it is. But of course, Kyrie's done incredibly well to get this far. And so... 
Uh, this is great stuff on, on, on his part. And like, you know, everybody gets this feeling at some point during the intermediate course. If you can get through it, then you'll feel much better about your situation. Next, we have Mirko R in the community. He says, hi there, new member here. I'd like to learn some Chinese songs, and I've asked Chinese people if they could recommend me some famous singers. Alas, the results weren't exactly to my liking, as I'm not that much into crooners. <laughs> I'm sure there are also other kinds of music in Mandarin. Could you recommend some? What I'm looking for is stuff like Jose Gonzalez and Brune, uh, George's Branson, Brasons, Joni Mitchell, Bjork, Giovanotti, etc. Jazz, rock, or anything original would also be fine. Thanks in advance. Well, you know, I understand Chinese pop music can be a little bit, um, well, croony, <laughs> as, uh, as Mirko is pointing out here. And so I uh, would recommend that you download NetEase, which is, uh, or Wangyi, uh, download QQ Music, uh, download Xiaomi, which is um, uh, shrimp rice, <laughs> is the uh, translation of that directly, if you were to look at those two characters. And these are Chinese music apps, and you can um, get a lot of Chinese music on there, see what's popular, but you can also categorize things. You can look for, uh, you know, different categories of music. Um, of course, go on to uh, Youku and Tudo and find the uh, music videos that are really popular or live music that's really popular there. Uh, you can check that out there. We also have a bunch of music apps on our resources article. So you, if you go to our blog, mandarinblueprint.com slash blog, we have the pinned post being the best resources for learning Chinese online uh, because it's just so useful. We, it's a really long post that we go into lots of different things and we have a whole music section uh, there for uh, things you can find that will be very helpful. So I, I recommend checking out that first. And of course, everybody is a little bit different. I don't have particular Chinese uh, artists that I'm personally familiar with that are similar to the artists you listed there, uh, Mirko. But uh, you'll definitely find some stuff if you just um, if you just use those different apps and uh, websites. Hank Elliott in the community forum. He says, "Hi, Luke and Phil. Love the intermediate course. New sixty stories." Any chance of getting the English might help with grammar. Thanks, Hank. Love it all so much. Not in the foreseeable future, Hank, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, it's a crutch that we don't really want. Like, this is part of what you got to do in this intermediate stage is you have to sort of have this radical acceptance of what you're reading and go, maybe not all of it is the perfect is perfectly translatable into English or the translation would make you overthink the grammar and, you know, all of that. So there's that element to it. Um, it can be a crutch in terms, just in terms of like, there's a challenge in trying to understand what it means. And, you know, if you use the English translation, you might not really get what the way that things are, uh, the way that the characters are relating to each other, because you're just thinking you understand because you read the English and you understood the English, right? So there's that. But also, Man, translation is a real pain. <laughs> Chinese and English have a lot of trouble with translation. And it's one of those things where it wouldn't be just as easy as like, oh, just translate these translator out there, which first of all is expensive. And, you know, we don't really have the extra funds for it at the moment. But uh, it's like sort of the translator 
has to go through it. And then we have to look at it and decide if we think it makes sense. And then other people are going to come in and say, why is that sentence translated this way? And like, we have to try to come up with an explanation for that. And it ends up being this huge time sink, which doesn't actually help people that much because it's really just creating a crutch. So we're talking about extra time, extra money, and uh, potentially hurting your ability to acquire Chinese. So it's kind of just against our philosophy to add lots of different translations uh, all around. So um, yeah, that's, that's our uh, situation with that. But, you know, as per usual, when you read your first intermediate course story, it's probably going to feel kind of hard and feel like, man, I wish I had a translation. By the time you get to the 60th story, I have a good feeling you're going to feel pretty confident about all of it. So um, as per usual. Next, we have Kate Gans by email. Uh, so this is in a conversation where we were talking, she was asking if we're going to have uh, Anki decks for the advanced course. And the answer to that is no. The, the uh, flashcards are going to be on the uh, traverse platform for the advanced course and the upper intermediate course. But uh, she was responding and she says, that makes sense. As you guys have said, we will be able to read more content at that point. One thing I'm having trouble understanding is how we will encounter the new words we have learned if we don't see them in specifically created cards. With the curve of forgetting, it seems that we would have to revisit each word to remember it. And with so many new words, thousands, how do we know we will find all these words in context to revisit them? Do you use flashcards for the words themselves and then read various materials with the hope to see them in context? So this is a good question. First of all, and there's more to her uh, email, but I'm just going to pause here for a moment. Um, first of all, I just want to talk about why it is that we're not making Anki cards for these. Um, it's, you know, basically like Mandarin Blueprint, we're a company that is doing pretty well. I mean, like we're doing, it's, it's all relative to how you break it down, but we're not at a place where, you know, we are super confident that we'll continue to be successful in perpetuity. Like we're doing okay. We're getting by. Right. And so we need to protect our IP because if we don't, then we're going to be in a situation where somebody else could just take our IP and then uh, create a product that is maybe not as good, but good enough that it takes away our sales. And then we can't survive as a company. So putting things out in Anki is not really advisable if you, if you have an alternative because it's open source. And so you know, other people can use it in their own way. For our advanced course, this is the thing that's really going to make us uh, super stand out from the competition. So we need to be able to protect that. So I get that, you know, for some of you, you may be thinking, but I got used to Anki and I like it. And so, you know, I, I still want it. And I just would say that there's a meta concern here, which is that Mandarin Blueprint needs to stay alive as a company for us to continue to support your Mandarin learning journey. So we need to be able to protect our IP in some way. And it's not a big sacrifice we're asking you to make. We're, we're just asking you to be on the, uh, you know, to use the Traverse platform for remembering, which will, you know, after our beta tests are done, work just fine. It'll work in the same way Anki does in terms of helping you remember. And hopefully it'll actually be a lot more user-friendly. So I just wanted to address that first. Now, um, Kate's question uh, we are going to have flashcards for the words. They'll be in the form of sentence, the word in a sentence with the usage of the word in the flashcard. Uh, you can still add images to it like you do uh, for the um, uh, the word flashcards you had in the foundation course. But the intermediate course already didn't have individual word flashcards. It's all based on sentences. So you will also have this for the advanced course. Now, um, it's, we're going to release the advanced course and the upper intermediate course for the characters and props first, because that's going to be ready first. And then we're going to keep working through adding in example sentences. But, you know, 
the manner of blueberry method, once you get to the upper intermediate course and advanced course, the words and sentences kind of become like a customized dictionary in a way, because we're not expecting you to do all of them. Like, cause if you have 11,829 words, each with at least one usage, many with several usages, we're talking about as many as like maybe 15, 16,000 sentence flashcards. If you did all of them, that would take just an inordinate amount of time and it stops being productive once you get to the point where you can read graded graded content uh, because graded content gives you more context and it gives you better acquisition than individual sentences. So there reaches a point where when you want to learn a word, the idea is that you use the living links that we taught you in phase two. You, you can add a sentence if you want and you know that, that sentence is in the realm of proximal development. So it's, it's uh, either got no top-down words or only one top-down word. And so that's kind of what ends up happening at that point. Now, uh, one of the things you said here, and with so many new words, how do we know we will find all these words in context to revisit them? Because then the funny, it, like the answer to that is that you're going to see them in the Chinese that you find in the wild. So what, once you get to the end of learning your characters, you're at character 3,250 in the uh, advanced course, and you've now been exposed to uh, the characters that make up 99.6% of the language by frequency. That means you're going to have the opportunity to look at any bit of text and uh, recognize the vast majority of the characters in it. Now, does that mean you're going to know every word in it? Well, no, but you're going to be constantly bombarded by all these different words that were listed in the uh, Mandarin Blueprint method, and some of them that are even more advanced than that, but like, you know, still you'll see all of these words coming in. And if at any point you find, I want to hone in a bit more on that word, you can find the sentence that we made for it and make a flashcard out of it. But like, you're going to, the question is, how do we, are we going to find them in context to revisit them? You're going to see them in context of the language itself and out there in the wild with uh, all the Chinese articles and all of the uh, TV shows and videos and all that. You're going to be bombarded with them. So um, that's where, really. Um, and yes, you'll still have flashcards for the words. So uh, continuing on, she says, maybe in the podcast, you guys could talk a bit about what it is like for you, Luke and Phil, when you encounter new words. Do you create a Henza movie on the spot? then how do you avoid re-encountering the word a few months later and having to repeat the process? I am having a bit of trouble wrapping my head around what happens with the learning process as we get to several thousand words. Right, so like, it's a good question. Uh, after I learned 3,000 characters in, you know, the Hansen movie method way, it was the nascent form of the Hansen movie method, but I never did it again uh, after that because everything else that I learned, uh, you know, I probably know thousands more characters than that now, but they all were able to be acquired in context. And like, because there are so many phonetic semantic compounds in the language, it's usually not even hard to learn the pronunciation. Like, you know, when you have such a solid foundation of understanding of the characters and the primary words in the language, then learning a new character that has a phonetic and a semantic component that you recognize, and usually it's just in a paired word, it's like the word that you're learning really, then a lot of times you just remember it without having to make a Henza movie method scene because, oh, wouldn't you know it, it had the phonetic component that is usually pronounced gal, and in this word, it's also pronounced gal, even though technically it's not a character I learned in the Henza uh, 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 movie method or Heisig method or whatever. And so that's kind of the answer to that is that I don't, I, I don't have to 
add it to my study queue because the language itself become the contextual clues become so robust that you don't even need it. Um, but getting to that point still requires learning about 3000 characters in the hands of movie methods style. But then once you've done that, you kind of reach this point where you've got so much help by the surrounding language. Um, so that's, you know, I, I get why you have trouble wrapping your head around that because you're not there yet, Kate, but like that will be the scenario. And I'm not to say that, you know, every now and then I still run across characters I don't recognize and I don't have a means by which to understand it other than to look it up in the dictionary. But like what I find is that looking it up in the dictionary is often enough. And if I, if it really wasn't enough, I, I could make something for it, but I haven't really needed to. Uh, it hasn't really been necessary all these years. Thank you to the Mandarin Bloober team for all your tremendous work. The new intermediate course stories are awesome. The voice actors do a fabulous job, and I like how there is a slight pause between each tracking segment. It is great for shadowing and also gives me a split second to understand what is being said, so I am not simultaneously trying to understand what was just said and also listening to and comprehending the next segment. I also appreciate the ability of the tap slash click on the segments to hear them repeated instead of having to hit the rewind button it is a much smoother process. This course just keeps getting better and better. Sincerely, Kate. I'm glad to hear that. It's great feedback about the uh, intermediate course stories that took a long time to come out, but they're out now and they're, they're doing well. So uh, that's fabulous. I'm glad to hear that, Kate. And, uh, you know, great, great questions. This is a really some fascinating stuff. James Rogers by email. He says, Hey guys, first of all, thanks for talking about my experience on the podcast at the tail end of last week. That was really cool. And I was really encouraged by Phil's comments. Just had a revelation the last few days as to why reading is so important to learning the language. As I said in my email, and as you've discussed before, listening is the hardest part of the language due to the speed of processing needed to comprehend what someone has just said. But then it dawned on me, written language is speech suspended in time. <laughs> when you read a dialogue, you gain the time needed to process the information involved. The more you do that, the shorter the processing time must become until you process in real time. You're then at a listening level, I assume. The written language is, of course, giving you grammar and vocab for speech as well, so you're actually involved and studying both sides of a conversation. It must be why musicians practice scales, which at first seems almost unrelated to what they actually want to play as they pick up speed. They prepare themselves for faster movements in the future. Hope that makes sense in the real world, and it wasn't Friday afternoon beer science, lol. Keep smashing it, guys. Just starting level 31 Jimmy Rogers. Well, thanks for that uh, email, Jimmy. And yeah, you know, that is a great way of conceptualizing it, which is that if you learn how to read, which like some people don't even learn how to read Chinese and they're fools. <laughs> they're fools, I tell you. Uh, you know, they might get a certain, uh, to get a certain ceiling, uh, a certain basic level of Chinese. But if you don't learn how to read, you're handica handicapping yourself massively because it's great it's comprehensible input that's easier to comprehend because you have time. Listening is the hardest because you don't have much time. That's the problem. And you've put it perfectly here. Written language is speech suspended in time. When you read a dialogue, you gain the time needed to process information. You do that enough and the time gets shorter and the time gets shorter and the time gets shorter and the time gets shorter. And then eventually it's approximately the same time as you need to listen to somebody speaking. And then, you know, and then it stays that way and you know, you got it, you did it. And then you keep listening and it just keeps being easy. And then your uh, listening becomes a better form of comprehensible input, um, or at least an equal form of comprehensible input to the reading. So the reading and the listening start to work together and it's just a explosion of success. So, um, well done, Jimmy. That's awesome stuff to recognize. Chris on level 13 complete. 
He says, after listening to your podcast, my initial goal was to get here and experience what so many before me have described. It feels amazing to read and understand these sentences. Reviewing individual characters in Anki is one thing, but reading full sentences is on another level. My recollection feels quicker, and I can already feel my overall speed increasing. These sentence reps really seem to be solidifying everything for me. I signed up in August 2020 during an exceptionally busy time in my life. I just couldn't pass up the lifetime offer, having complete confidence in your method. I just recently started a consistent study schedule, and I'm blown away with how quickly I'm progressing. You guys are the best. I love this course, and I look forward to it every day. I am addicted. Well, that's great to, to hear, Chris. And, you know, it's interesting because you can uh, juxtapose what Chris is experiencing with what Kyrie was experiencing at the beginning of this uh, podcast, which, you know, Kyrie was going through a bit of that intermediate plateau, that intermediate slump, as it were, you know, where you're not feeling as good about things. And so, you know, one of the things I would say to Kyrie is that remember how you felt in level 13, which is, you know, ages ago, you're at level 50 now or 51. And so, it, you know, it might feel like a long time ago, but it's in the foundation course that you need to really get those reps. But eventually you reach a point where you don't need to have as many sentence reps and it actually becomes more important again to learn the characters. But it's great to hear that this is how Chris is feeling. Level 13 is a really big moment in the course. Uh, so that's awesome stuff. Rose Black on level 33 complete. So 20 levels later. She says, but I really love grammar, though. I understand that it's best to acquire the language naturally. But to me, grammar is really the most interesting thing in a language. And she's responding to something that I wrote in the Level 33 review, which is about how grammar is never a requirement and understanding grammatical structures is never really a requirement for success in a language because you will eventually acquire everything. Uh, through comprehensible input and then you won't be able to explain why it works it just works and that's the same thing that's true of your native language you don't you can't explain every grammatical uh, concept in your native language unless you expressly studied it and yet you can still speak and you can still understand so what's up with that is it because you know uh, everybody is a miracle and somehow doesn't have to study the thing that should have to be studied well no it's uh, grammar is something that is a ex post facto analysis of a language from curious linguists, which is very cool. But I never want to come across as if I'm saying that you shouldn't learn grammar. I'm just saying that it's not the most efficient route to fluency and literacy. It's it's like a bit of a, a sidebar. But if you find it interesting, heck, you know, learn as much grammar as you can. There's Chinese Grammar Wiki has all these uh, grammar points broken down. And I mean, like, they're a little bit less thorough than our grammar points, but we also haven't... Um, uh, we don't have as many as they do. They have like every little detail broken broken out. I would just advise caution though, because if you haven't fully um, gotten to the point where you've acquired the language and you're learning lots of grammar, then you could end up creating what's called what Stephen Krashen called an effective filter, where you're overthinking the grammar and therefore you struggle to speak because you're thinking too much about whether or not it's correct. And uh, when you really, when you go to output, you should feel very relaxed and kind of like, well, let's just see what comes to my mind as opposed to trying to logic it out uh, ahead of time and then um, speak that way. You'll end up speaking in a very uh, broken and kind of uh, stammered type of way if you're trying to overthink your grammar. Kim Thomas on spread the word. 
Thank you, Luke and Phil. Amazing course so far. I have difficulty keeping my attention span for more than 15 to 20 minutes, so I cannot learn via traditional methods. I didn't think I could ever learn a new language, and yet here I am, able to read and write sentences and write and understand 596 characters. Cannot wait to learn the next 2,000. Well, you're well on your way, Kim. Kim's been leaving comments for... Uh, many months now, and congratulations on completing the foundation course. That's a huge step. You now know 80% of the language by frequency. It's so fun now, by the way, just as a side note, that uh, the every week on the podcast, we're getting people at these different stages. And they're, you know, it's just, it's so cool to see the kind of emotional up and down, mostly ups, happily to say, uh, that people have at these different points. You know, I just finished pronunciation mastery. I just finished phase two. I, I'm finished the foundation course. I'm in the intermediate course and I'm feeling a little bit, uh, of a plateau or, you know, and, and very soon we're going to have people in the uh, upper intermediate course and advanced course. Uh, it's just really exciting. I'm so proud of all you guys you are doing great. Rose Black on phase five, uh, one of the phase five stories. She says, because in the video, Hua Xianzi is a different color. At first I just read, and my brain just stopped there. And so I was shocked because that would mean every day they eat the fairies. are fairies, flower fairies. But then I saw the rest. And it made sense. Yeah, so in Chinese, there's a lot of times where the attributive takes a minute to get to, which is one of the reasons, by the way, why those little like in-ear translators where you're like speaking and then like somebody... Um, you know, uh, the, the AI and the translator, like translates it into your language. That'll never be as good as real time because you can't know what the person was going to say. So for example, if you say, and you pause for a moment, then the translator is going to go, Oh, they eat flower fairies every day. But then if you say the whole sentence, which would mean they ate the f stuff that the flower fairies brought to them, right? And that's a very different sentence, but you don't know what it is until the very end. So you can't translate in real time. Uh, it's, it's impossible. And so like, that's why uh, the attributive there, you know, uh, is towards the end. It's not just, you know, what did they eat? Well, they ate dongxi stuff, right? So common mei tian shi dongxi is the basic sentence or even just tamen shi dongxi but like tamen mei tian shi dongxi is the basic sentence and then hua xianzi gei tamen dai lai de is all just an attributive to dongxi but what the final thing is isn't going to be available to you to understand until the end of the sentence so you know we're still going to have a job in 10 years, no matter how good the AIs get. <laughs> good question here from Oscar on the vocab boost for which is in the intermediate course. He says, what is the purpose of Bing in 实习老师的工作说起来并不简单? You could take away the Bing and it would mean the intern teachers, uh, the, the work of the intern teachers uh, doesn't sound simple when you speak it. So, um, but then when you add bing, it essentially means contrary to expectations, it's not simple. And so you use bing bu or bing mei, bing meio, right? So it's usually put before a negative. So bing bu nama jian dan, 
is like way of saying it's really not that simple. It's not as simple as you're making out it out to be. You think, okay, I only have to learn a thousand characters uh, to be good at Chinese. And I would say, uh, right? So it's not that few. It's not as few because you put forward an expectation. I'm saying your expectation, not contrary to expectations, not that. And so um, here's another one. Uh, you said my wife is really ugly. Right? I didn't, no, I, I didn't say that. Contrary to what you just accused me of, I didn't say that, you know. <laughs> you said my wife is ugly. <laughs> anyway, so that would be a way of just sort of, it's negating what has already been established as some kind of uh, precedent, you know, and the precedent can be established by the writer, like maybe a, somebody's writing an article and they've, they've set up some kind of precedent and they say, but despite how it might sound, this thing really isn't that simple. And, you know, so yeah, that's how Bing Bu or Bing Mayo uh, works. Mirko R on new vocabulary unlocked for Rinshi. I may have missed something, but how do I know when the second part of a word changes its tone to a neutral tone? Now, I think that Mirko might have been asking this in a general sense, like a principle that you can follow, but I just wanted to point out that in the lesson, uh, in the video, we have it listed as Rinshu, and in the lesson text, we have it also listed as Rinshu. So, like, when we have vocab that changes tone from the tone you learn in the Henze movie method, we always list it. So, uh, if you have by itself, it's going to be second tone, but when it's in the word Rinshu, it's fifth tone. Now, going back to what I think Mirko might have meant which is like, is there some kind of principle by which you can know that something is fifth tone? And the answer is no, not really. There's no rule. Um, there's a general thing, which is that a lot of words that are very commonly spoken will turn to fifth tone because it's, you can say a sentence faster. Like if I had to emphasize the second tone there it might make the sentence go uh a bit longer but if i just say the the fifth tone just being quite quick helps the sentence go quicker but there's no hard and fast rule for like this set of words becomes the second character becomes a fifth tone and this set doesn't it's just the kind of thing you have to get used to as you hear things but here's the thing it doesn't really matter that much because what will happen naturally as you get better and more advanced and you see more sentences and then you start shadowing them and then you do lots of extra uh, uh, comprehensible input and shadowing, you end up just kind of getting this stuff naturally because you imitate and you mimic native speakers. And this is a thing that's always really important to understand. There are principles of the language. There are four tones or five tones. There are um, tone pairs. There are ways that uh, tones get turned to fifth tone sometimes. Like, uh, but what you always, what always supersedes all of those principles is how do native speakers actually speak it? You know, so if you're listening to somebody, you know, they're speaking Mandarin, not a dialect, and they say something in a way that is, uh, you know, not what the principle says, defer to the native speaker. So like you might say, the principle here is that, uh, this character should be pronounced, uh, uh, 办法, 
banfa, right? So like a third, fourth tone, third tone. But they're just kind of going banfa. Yeah, and it's not really a full third tone. Well, fine. So then defer to the native speaker. It just, what you should take from that is just, I can just say it is banfa, and it's no big deal. Uh, so just bear that in mind moving forward. You always want to defer to the native speakers. And But yeah, the practical element of that question from Mirko is that we're going to label it if there's some kind of difference between the uh, n what the Henze movie method tone is and what the tone is in a word if it changes. Daniel Ull on ban in context. I have trouble understanding this sentence. Are there also alternative meanings to that sentence? No, there's pretty much a straightforward meaning. So, is a way of saying, do deal with it as you see fit, right? So, is like, as, like you're looking and means it's currently happening, right? So, bans, deal with. So, like you're looking at it, you deal with it, just, just, Deal with it as you see fit. Uh, and so, is you deal with it yourself as you see fit. And so, it actually makes sense if you break it down, but I can see how it's not instantaneously obvious. Annette Bignell on in context, a suggestion, it would help if the top-down words were listed before the English translation. And of course, this is only relevant to the foundation course. We don't have English translations for the intermediate course so that you are uh, less reliant on English at that point. But she makes a good point. She says, I scroll just enough to read the Chinese sentence, then turn it over in my head for what it means, unless it is instant, and then look at the translation. If there are characters I do not know, it doesn't help if they are below the English sentence. That takes away the ability to make sense of what I read before seeing the translation. And we've actually gotten this suggestion before, and we're going to do it at some point. It's just a matter that our um, assistant is focused on making the inter upper, intermediate, and advanced course at the moment. So uh, we're going to have him... Uh, focused on that but once that's done there's it's definitely on our list of like things for our assistant to get to and uh, he could probably do that in a couple of days it's just a matter of, it's a bit fi finicky like changing it around um, especially because Kajabi's text editor is kind of not so good so it's like you'll change something and then you'll save it and suddenly there will be extra paragraphs added that we didn't tell it to and you know anyway that's uh that's neither here nor there but it's on our list it's a good suggestion and we would like to do that in the future but I also bear in mind that in your flashcards, you don't see the English translation until the back of the card. So you have the opportunity to do the same thing uh, on the flashcards. But yes, we would like to get that happening on the course as well. Hussein Abdulkadar, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but his uh, Chinese name is um, is Ho Sayin. <laughs> so Hussein Ho Sayin. Um, all right. He asks his question in Chinese. He says, Da Jia Hao. Hello, everybody. I have a question. In the above dialogue, one person says, So that's the sentence is, I gave you a call in the morning, but you weren't there. So, why didn't he say mei zai? And what's the difference between saying bu zai and mei zai? And so the first thing, first of all, this question was asked correctly. He asked that. He said, hopefully I asked my question correctly in Chinese. Yep. And then you could say, dan shi ni mei zai. Like, so you weren't there, right? And that's actually kind of more correct. But the thing is, what the person is saying is they're saying, wo zao shang 
给你打过电话。And then they're kind of placing themselves in the moment of giving a call. It's like you can imagine they're on, they're imagining themselves on the phone waiting to get you to answer,、um, but you don't answer. Dan shouldn't be bootzat. So like you're not there, and it's because they're kind of placing themselves in the moment of when they made the call. They're they're setting the time frame and then speaking as if they're in that time frame, which is.、Um, Not something we necessarily do as much in English, but you can kind of do that in Chinese. So both are okay. You know, certainly if you want to go on the principle of like things that you're negating in the past should be used with may, then sure, do that. Dan shouldn't need may zai. That would be fine. Carrie Woods on kaisher in context. Just curious why you sometimes use Western numbers instead of the Chinese characters in certain sentences. The answer to this is that Chinese people generally put. You know, quote unquote, Western numbers, Arabic numerals,、uh, but they usually tend to use numerals, digits、uh, in sentences.、Uh, every now and then, they'll spell out the、um, character, or if it's like, you know, maybe it's just one character, like shi. If there was shi ge shi ge ren, then you might see the actual character for shi.、Uh, but like generally, if there's if it's like I don't know, e by r shi san, one hundred and twenty three. If you're gonna say e by r shi san. Then you might just type one, two, three as opposed to e by r shi san. So that's five characters versus three digits. And、uh, you know, obviously these days people are typing. But if you can imagine why this might have come about, if you can just write one, two, three onto the page as opposed to spelling out. You know, writing out all the characters, then you know that would save you a lot of time. So I imagine that that's why it happened. But yeah, we're just basically following the、uh, the common practice there. Annette Bicknell on 手机 in context. 你看，这是我买的手机 Why is there no look to indicate the past tense of my? If omitting lo is possible for past tense, would it be similar for future tense too? If so, could the sentence be "Look, this is the cell phone I will buy," imagining someone browsing on an online store, or similar, talking to a friend? So, first of all, "Look" does not indicate past tense; it indicates a change. And there's another way to speak about the past and emphasize details about the past, which is to use the "shi" "du" construction, which I already sent the article to Annette about this. But the purpose of this sentence is to say, "This is the phone that I bought." Ni kan, "Zhe shi wo mai de shou ji." Uh, and so it's not saying I bought a phone. Wo mai le shou ji would be or wo mai le yi tai shou ji. Tai is the measure word for、um, for phones. And you just say, okay,、uh, if that's the purpose of the sentence, I bought a phone. Then you'll use le because your purpose is to say there was a change. But in this case, you're saying this is the phone I bought. So there seems to be some kind of Connection to something previously established. You know, I had previously told you I was going to buy a phone. This is the phone I bought. Just wo mai de shou ji. And the way you know this is the shi de construction. Just shi wo mai de shou ji. And so by getting that across, you're emphasizing the detail of the one I bought, right? And so that's、uh, why there's no le here. And when you're using the shi de construction and emphasizing details, you tend to be talking about the past in general.、Um, So yeah, that's the answer. Next, we have Avir on he in context. She says, "How do you know 我和一个儿子早上过来 is future tense and not past tense?" Please, 
for example, i.e. if the speaker is saying this in the evening, the morning would be over for them, and so a simple past tense would be used, right? Could this sentence be one of such instances and thus be translated as past tense? Thanks. So the answer here is that when you're talking about completed actions, you tend to always use look if that's the purpose of the sentence. It's kind of good that we had this question right after Annette's question because Annette's question is about emphasizing a detail, in which case you can omit le, despite the fact that you're talking about the past because you're emphasizing that detail. But in this case, uh, there's no particular details being emphasized. You're not saying that uh, it's with my son that I will come tomorrow morning or it's tomorrow morning that I will come or it's tomorrow morning that I will come, right? It's none of them are particularly emphasized, these different points. So there's no construction. And so if there was some kind of indication of completion, you would have the look in there. Right? So that would indicate that it was a completed action of coming. And then the uh, way that you can think of it from there is that if you're talking about the future, there's more likely, there's a higher likelihood that you can omit the future based characters if the context is clear. So you could say, or, and both indicate future tense. Um, however, if you're on the phone with someone or something you've or you're in a conversation and you've already established that there is you're gonna come over at some point and you just say if you've already been in conversation about what that you're going to meet at some point then you don't you can omit the yao or the hui Chinese is very contextual in that way now if you're trying to emphasize that something has been completed you're almost always definitely going to include le. so the fact that le is not included here, leaves you with like, well, this is future tense because they're clearly also not talking about the present tense. You know, it's like, why would you indicate that it's morning if it's you're saying I'm coming over now, right? You know, so uh, that's, that's not something you would ever say, right? You're not like, I'm coming in the morning, which is right now, right? Like you wouldn't do that. So clearly it's either past or future. If it's past, you're going to either use the shirt duck construction to emphasize some detail, or you're going to say look to indicate that an action has been completed, or you might even use guo to indicate that it's happened ever. But in this case, there's no, none of those. I mean, there's guo lai, but that's not guo lai as a particle. That's guo lai as a, as a word. Um, and so therefore future tense is kind of all that's left at that point. And so you can just assume that they're in a conversation of some sort and that's how they, um, that's how they, you know, moved forward in the conversation. He just said, as in we'll come in the morning. Avir on xiang in context, the sentence, just to confirm, this is what my son usually wants to eat in the morning, a habitual action, as opposed to what he wants to eat this morning, a one-off action, right? Yes, that's a good way to think of it. You know, like my son likes to eat noodles in the morning, not bread, right? And that's just sort of like a thing that is just true. He just likes to eat noodles in the morning. As It's not even necessarily habitual. It just is what's going on. It's like that's his state at the moment. Um, so with no, now if you just, if all you would have to say is, 我的儿子今天早上想吃面, that would be like, okay, well he wants to eat 
noodles this morning, right? Um, so yeah, that would be that would be the way you could make that clearer. But if you just say, um, you know, and you know, it's possible this could be one one time. Uh, but you'd probably specify which zhaoshang you're talking about because every day has a zhaoshang. So as soon as you specify, it's jintian zhaoshang or mingtian zhaoshang or zhotian zhaoshang. But like the point is, that is something that you would probably establish. If it's something like zhaoshang xiang shimian, then it's just like, well, every day has a zhaoshang. So it's just a state of the sun. Next, we have a few vocab living links. These are the connections that we make to individual compound words of two or more characters to try to help us remember them. Maybe the, the word sounds like an English word that you can make a connection to, or there's a connection to some kind of pop culture reference that you want to remind people of, and so you share it on a lesson. So let's see what people came up with this week. There's only a few this week. Chris on Vocab Unlocked from Zong, Zong Shi. For an image for Zong Shi, I went with a dog waiting by the door. My dog would hear the garage door open and would always be waiting to greet me. Yeah, perfect. I love that type of personal connection there because always is abstract. So what do you associate with always? What's something that always happens, you know, every day? Well, dog waiting for you. It's like consistent, right? So a dog waiting by the door may not be obviously always to someone else, but because it's something that happens to you, you can make that connection. And then you have an emotional connection to zong shi, which you didn't previously have. So like, it's, it's a very good way of uh, connecting to these words. I like it. Ryan Syed on vocab unlocked from qie, qie. sounds like each. So a mnemonic could be each and everything. Nice. Yeah, that's a simple one, right? Qie, everything. And by the way, uh, is a situation where the, um, Pronunciation of the character changes. Tie by itself is first tone, and that means to like cut vegetables or something like tie. Um, but then yi means everything, and in that case, it's the fourth tone, tie. And uh, it also tends to be used in noun when it's yi uh, Like, she's my everything, right? You know, um, uh, but um, yeah, so like it, it can. We've got other words for everything, like soyo, but itxie tends to be used in that noun form. Like, you know, so soyo would be like soyo ren, all the people. So it's more of like, a, you know, an adjective. Carrie Woods on Vocab Unlocked from ban, ban fa. In my head, I often translate this as a solution. Is this all right, or am I setting myself up for bad habits? For example, I translate, jiga ban fa hai xing as this solution is okay, instead of this way of dealing with it is okay. Is this okay? <laughs> LOL. Well, I mean, I'm trying to think if there's a reason why banfa can't be thought of as a solution. I mean, you know, really what it is, it's a management method. Ban, deal with, uh, the method of dealing with something, right? So it's a bit more accurate to look at the characters and say, what are they actually saying? Fa is a method. What kind of fa? A ban fa, a dealing with method. But that's kind of what a solution is. Although, I guess a solution implies that it worked, right? Like this solution. Um, but I think it's fine. I think thinking of it that way isn't going to drive you crazy. But just look at the characters, you know? The characters themselves, I think, are pretty... They make it clear what's going on. There's lots of different fa's. There's lots of different methods. And one of them is a ban fa. So just think of it like from the Chinese perspective and you should be fine. 
Excellent stuff. Well, that wraps up this week's Mandarin Blueprint podcast. Thank you so much for watching as always. And if you'd like to join the beta test, hit us a, send us an email at con, uh, contact at mandarinblueprint.com. We want to start the one. There's the one for the intermediate students. If you're an intermediate student and you want to check out some of those sentences, let us know. Um, but there's also the more important one right now is who wants to join the beta test for the beginning of the course, pronunciation, mastery, flashcards, and phase one characters and components flashcards. We're really curious to see how that goes. We imagine there's probably gonna be some bugs and kinks to work out. So it would really be helpful to us if you could join and check that out. So we appreciate it. And thanks so much for listening. See you next week.